please stay right where you are because it's time for GeorgiaCarry.org radio with Doug and Jesse King. GeorgiaCarry.org is Georgia's no compromise voice for gun owners. Stay tuned for valuable information on protecting your Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms. And now, your host for GeorgiaCarry.org radio, Doug and Jesse King. All right, folks, you're listening to GeorgiaCarry.org radio. I'm your host, Doug King. It is time to hold on to your butts, because this week has been just an exciting week in politics and um, in gun rights and in history, and I have got so much I want to talk about. It's not even funny what what all is going on right now in our geopolitical structure, and there's so much information that I need to cover today, and I'm not going to get to it all, and it's, it's a shame. We do have a couple more weekends before the election, but the election's also over, because Early voting is going on, and people are casting their ballots left, right, and center, and that means that for a lot of people, voting's already over, the election's over, the die's been cast, we've crossed the Rubicon, and whatever will be, will be. But the that le- first off, I want to talk about what makes a Republican a Republican. I want to talk about um, a story I heard on NPR about the, the Mexican... Uh, Mexico City, their public transportation system, and and the um, um, rape prevention protocols that they're undertaking. Uh, the my goodness, there's so much. The debate, Hillary coming out as being pro gun. I mean, there's so many things that we really need to discuss. And I think about half of my audience just had a heart attack and died in that moment. So. Let's let's break it down a little bit. First off, I want to talk about early voting because a lot of people are are saying early voting is a tool of of corruption and that this is a way that um Democrats use to get people who aren't really registered voted and it's I think that early voting is a fantastic thing because a lot of people are turned away from the polls from long lines or from having to work. There are people who have to go to work and don't get to go to the poll. If I have a jury trial that is on the second or on the first Tuesday in November, you know, this year's November 8th, even though the first Tuesday is November 1st. If I have a jury trial that week, guess what? I don't get to vote that year. Just flat out. There's there that that's not going to happen. But with early voting, I get to go to the poll and actually get to vote and actually feel like I'm part of the process. Now, let's talk about how your vote counts, okay? We're talking about 1% or 2%. If you have 1% or 2% difference in the population, it's a statistical error, okay? America's got 300 million people. That means 2% of the American population is 6 million people. In order just to be outside the range of a statistical error, you've got to get more than 6 million people on your side. So my vote, your vote, I was telling my kids, John, he says, I don't get to vote. I said, your vote counts just about as much as mine does. Statistically, they're even. And that's the truth. That That is the truth. Because um, one 300 millionth of a, a vote doesn't really add up to very much. And if you want to round it off, it's nothing at all. But collectively, you know, we, we do, we are, we are able to uh, shift the barometer of power ever so slightly. So do get out and vote. Do take advantage of early voting. Allow It allows you to get out there and vote on days that are convenient for you and hopefully avoid the two-hour lines. But even with early voting, uh, there are going to be lines. Now, 
everywhere that I listen to on the, the news, every news station, every news protocol, every every show, every talking head, every pundit, everything keeps telling me how uh, the election's over, Hillary's won, Trump threw it all away in the first debate, Trump threw it all away in the second debate, Trump threw it all away in the third debate, Trump threw it all away when he said something 11 years ago, Trump threw it all away, and the election's over. And the biggest fear Democrats have is that because they know that it's such a landslide that Democrats are going to stay home and suppress some of the vote, which is why, of course, they're in, in strong Republican counties like Bartow. I mean, Bartow, come on. They're, they're, they don't even bother fielding another candidate. It's, it's the one-party system there. Um, even in Bartow, there's an hour-long wait for early voting. They have to have a sheriff's deputy directing traffic for early voting. Who uh, in their right mind would have thought that that would have been necessary? Gwinnett County this morning on on the news is announcing that they are opening up alternative early voting centers because the lines are so long at the primary location that they're going to have to open up two satellite locations for early voting to diffuse the long lines and waiting. So... We're tired of this election. Nobody wants to hear about it. Everybody is done. They're, they're, they're so confident that they're not even going to show up at the polls, but we have to open up alternative polling sections, stations and satellite locations. We have to have, have police officers directing traffic in front of a county's polling office. I mean, give me a break. I mean, where do these people live? The, the, the news that we are listening to every single day is so far removed from reality. They might as well be broadcasting from Mars. And I don't get it. I don't get what the narrative is. I don't get why they don't want to admit anything. And and those two stories will be back to back. Um, you know, pundits argue that this is going to be a very low turnout election. Early voting suggests that 160,000 Georgians cast their ballot on the first day. And there, there's like, there's no no possible correlation between the two it doesn't mean anything that thousands of people i talked to the the board of elections supervisor in bartow county right and he know what he told me that voter registration is at an all-time high he has had so many applicants they had people out the door of the dmv fixing their voter registration on the last day to, to get their voter registration worked out there were people who were lining up with the Board of Elections to fix their voter registration so they'd be able to vote in this year's election. I have talked to people who have never voted before in their lives who have gone and registered in order to vote in this election. And yet, we're all tired of it. The election's over. Nobody cares. Hillary's going to win. It's a foregone conclusion. Well, I'm, I'm here to tell you folks that not only is it not a foregone conclusion that Hillary's going to win, but I think that because of the massive amount of new voters registering, the massive amount of public um, interest in this election, and the, the vehement feelings of people, and the personality that is Donald Trump, that this is going to be the largest landslide in American history. I think that Trump is going to walk away with this election in the end because he's going to win states that Republicans don't normally win because he's not a Republican. What? Huh? What did, what, what did Doug just say there? Yes, Donald Trump is not a Republican. And because of that, he is going to be able to pull in more votes than the Republican Party has seen in a very, very long time. And this brings me to my second point. And I'm, I'm going to get to, I'm going to get to Mexico City. Quit looking at me. I'm going to get to Mexico City. I am going to get 
to all of the other gun stuff, I promise, but we've got to discuss what's gone on with the Republican Party and why things are changing, because this is going to affect next year's legislature, which you got, yes, uh-huh, okay. So anyway, the Republican Party has undergone this massive dynamic shift over the years, okay? And in to order to understand what is a Republican, we need to we need to dive into the Republican Party politics of, oh, let's say the last three generations. You think that's going back far enough to, to get out a, an identity for the party? I, I think that that kind of gives us a good range. So if we go back to the early 60s, we've got Republican presidential candidates. And I'm only looking at presidential candidates because they're the easiest to research versus the mass of, of all the possibles in the House and Senate over the last 50 years. But if you look at Republican presidential candidates, these are supposed to be the best, the brightest, the people who are the heart and soul core of the party, right? These are the people that everybody can agree on, that we come together for, that we unite and support and sometimes hold our nose for, but vote on block for. This is what Republicanism is, okay? We've got Richard Nixon, Barry Goldwater, um, then it was Nixon again. And then Ford, Reagan, Bush, I'm thinking, Dole, Bush, McCain, Romney, and now Trump. Okay, so there's the list. That's, that's all the Republican Party nominees since, I believe, 1960. Not quite. Well, yeah, I think that's right. So... They don't have any common ties socioeconomically. Uh, Richard Nixon grew up in a very, very poor Quaker family. Mitt Romney grew up in a political family of wealth and and extreme good fortune. They're not tied together religiously. Uh, you've got a fundamentalist Southern Baptist in George W. Bush, and you've got a Methodist in Barry Goldwater. Or Episcopalian, Episcopalian. So you know, there, there you go. I mean, think about it as, as far diverse as you can get. On one side, you have someone who's just about a Catholic, and on the other side, you've got a, a, a fundamentalist Southern Baptist, not connected whatsoever. Um, you, you can't tie them together through um, local policies, domestic policies that they don't line up. I mean. You, you can't get very much more divergent in domestic policy than Ronald Reagan and John McCain. You can't get much more divergent in foreign policy than Richard Nixon and George H.W. Bush. I mean, well, excuse me, not H.W., but George W. Bush. His son, the the all of the policies, all of the, and they say, well, conservatism, conservatism ties the party together. No, it doesn't, because look at who they're nominating in Mitt Romney. Mitt Romney's not a conservative. He was for gun control. He invented Romney Care, the the, the principal underpinnings of Obama. I'm over time. I'll be right back. Now, back to GeorgiaCarry.org radio with Doug and Jesse King. 
Welcome back, everybody. When I took the break, I was trying to compare and contrast Republican presidential candidates over the last 50 years. And I was just getting to how uh, Romney was not really conservative, so you can't say conservatism ties the party together. You, you can't say it's socioeconomic, because you have people from very divergent economic backgrounds. You can't say it's religious. You can't say it's policy-driven. So what makes a Republican a Republican? What What is this party? And what is how does it differentiate itself from the Democrat Party? And I think that the, the, the answer lies in philosophy, not in agenda, but truly in real philosophy. I think that Democrats are Democrats because they're utilitarian. To a Democrat, it doesn't really matter how you get there. As long as you get to the right end, it's okay. And that's why we see all the scandals that follow the Democratic Party that nobody cares about. Nobody cares that Clinton deleted the emails because it allows her to run for presidency. And the end of her being president is more important than the means of the this cover-up that allows her to do it. Um, I mean, we could spend an, a whole hour on Clinton's scandals. I mean, everything from from her affairs to her emails to releasing state secrets during a debate. Thank you. Four minutes, nuclear response time, closely, most closely guarded secret in the U S arsenal. And now it's on national TV. We, we just love you, Hillary. Um, so there, I mean, there, we can spend all day on WikiLeaks and, and how, but they don't care. Nobody cares because for them, the ends justify the means and having Hillary elected and defeating Trump justify any means that are necessary, including inciting violence at Trump's rallies to try to provoke Trump pro, um, supporters into, into violence. Um, you know, having a misinformation campaign, none of that matters as long as it, the ends are justified. All the means are okay. And that is liberalism. That is the Democratic Party today in a nutshell. The Republican Party is a party of deontology. And I would submit, argue, beat you over the head with the idea that the Republican Party, as being a deontological party, is dying. It is dying a very rapid, at this point, death. But it has been dying since the late 60s. And here's the reason. There has been a cultural war on philosophy since the end of the 1950s. Beginning in the 1960s, a, a revolution was happening in colleges and universities to challenge cultural norms of philosophy. We do things because they are right. That was the American way, both for liberals and conservatives. There was right was right and wrong was wrong. Adlai Stevenson, right? One of the most liberal guys you'll ever meet, right? Mm-hmm. Fought communism, tooth and nail. The Red Threat had no problem fighting communism. He was fighting communism before before JFK even heard about the Cuban Missile Crisis, you know? Before JFK was even born, Adlai Stevenson was fighting communism because it was right. It was the right thing to do. And even though he was liberal and he supported liberal social policies and ran against, I want to say, Eisenhower? I think so. Um... Even though he was an incredibly liberal person, he fought against communism because it was restricting freedom and it was the right thing to do. This all shifted. The 60s was decided that there wasn't right or wrong. Everything was morally and culturally relative. And with cultural relativism, then what is right for me may not be right for you. And everything is just kind of touchy-feely and it's okay. And I'm not going to impose a moral judgment on you. So the people who were in favor of a... Uh, uh, 
deontological absolute categorical right that things should be universally applied and these things are are not to be individualistically tailored morality can't be tailored to one person they fled to the republican party and the people who believed in doing whatever it takes to win fled to the democrat party and these are this is where the lines have become entrenched now you see democrats that push welfare and social control because the ends of being able to maintain power and, and maintain and move towards a better society is worth the means of keeping people in poverty or keeping them repressed or keeping them pushed down. Republicans look and say, no, we want freedom, not entitlements, because it's right. You shouldn't be living on a handout. That's just not right. And so as people, as, as the, the country shifts and as being more people being dependent on the government, power flows away from the Republican Party and into the Democrat Party because the Democrats aren't afraid to use that tool, even if it is a morally reprehensible tool in order to obtain and secure power. And this was just a philosophical choice. I'm not placing a judgment value on the Democrats' choice to go after these sorts of things. I'm just saying that this is what happened. In the last 50 years, we have seen the Republicans become the good guys. They're the white hat guys. They don't do wrong. They don't have affairs. They don't go out in public and, and berate people. They talk nice and they, they play fair and they compromise, always compromise, 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 compromise. The Democrats say, give us an inch. The Republicans say, sure. Democrats say, give us a mile. The Republicans say, sure. The Democrats say, give us an extra $14 trillion worth of debt, the Republicans say, sure, because there's nice guys. They're not going to stand up. They're not going to fight about it. You know, there's, there's elections have consequences and yeah, we lost this time. So we're going to be the, 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 um, loyal opposition and, and do what we're told and wait for our next turn to be able to turn the country around. Meanwhile, the Democrats are doing whatever it takes to win. And when they win, they want it all and we give it to them. And when we win, they want nothing and we, Give it to them because we don't want to have that fight. And this is insane. This is this is what caused so many people to leave the Republican Party, especially me. I mean, I, I looked at Jim Boehner and I was like, this this is ridiculous. Why are you giving them everything? You were elected to go fight. Go fight. And they won't fight. And I, I said on Facebook this last week, give me give me a George Patton over General McClellan any day of the week and twice on Sunday, and that's the truth. And that's what Donald Trump is. Trump is George Patton. He is a foul-mouthed, evil, mean man who's going to go and win World War II for you. Well, what do you want? Do you want World War II won, or do you want a nice guy? And that's the choice. That's what it's come down to. And the electorate, the Republican Party, has turned on the GOP and said, we want a fighter. And, and the GOP turns and says, no, we need a Washington general who knows how to play the game and knows how to attract the undecided voter. And that's how elections are won. And you need to do what we say. And the, the electorate, the army turned around and said, no, we want a man who will fight. This man will fight. And they're, they're pushing him forward and leading him into battle. And that's, that's kind of a scary thing. And this is, this is a, should be a terrifying thing to Democrats because Lord knows they've won. The cultural revolution of the 1960s has come home to roost and they've won. They have driven deontology out of our political system so that it does not exist anymore. To the Republicans, what matters is winning. 
To the Democrats, what matters is winning by any means necessary. And this is the kind of no-holds-barred fight you get when you put two people for whom winning is the ultimate power, the ultimate goal, the ultimate everything, onto the line against each other. Hillary will do whatever it takes to win. Trump will do whatever it takes to win. The only thing that they won't do is... Well, I was going to say the only thing they won't do is compromise their core beliefs. But Hillary kind of did that in the debate, which leads us around in kind of this meandering fashion to Hillary coming out in support of the Second Amendment. I mean, if you listen to the debate, she is a strong supporter of the Second Amendment. She she has got to support that Second Amendment, man. It is the most important amendment in the entire Constitution. It just doesn't happen to actually apply to you or guns. But other than that, the rest of it, you know, it's kind of like if you read it, it says... um, a well, a, you know, a well-regulated militia being essential for the, you know, defense of the the state, the right to shall not be infringed. That's basically the way she reads it. A, there's a right to a well-established militia, which we don't even know what it is, but it shall not be infringed, and that's all that there is. <laughs> there, there's no right to bear arms there's no right to own firearms there's no right to defend yourself against other people there's certainly no right to defend yourself against the government um there's no right to have multiple guns there's no right to have uh, you know massive amounts of ammo like you know 10 rounds in your magazine there's no right to any of that but the second amendment is important and and being such a strong second amendment supporter she said that the heller decision had nothing to do with the right to own keeper bear arms it was about the district of columbia trying to protect toddlers from partial birth abortions now i'm i i admit i was putting the kids to bed kind of in that part of the debate so i may have missed something but it sure seemed like that the heller decision was about dc protecting babies from partial birth abortions in her mind which is why we had to stop it something like that um i i don't know this this is just bizarre a- anyone who has been alive in the last 30 years knows that hillary clinton is no friend of the second amendment and she can't become a friend of the Second Amendment. And anyone anyone out there who believes in gun control, if you vote for Hillary Clinton now, you are completely undermining everything that you think of when it comes to gun control because Hillary Clinton believes in the Second Amendment. Right there. I mean, that, that, that's it. If any person out there actually believes in gun control, if Michael Bloomberg does not come out and condemn her for being a disgusting, nasty person and trying to put guns in the hands of, of, of insane criminals, felons, firearms enthusiasts, then I don't know what... I'll be right back, folks. And now, back to GeorgiaCarry.org Radio with Doug and Jesse King. Welcome back. When we left, I was talking about Hillary's strange departure from the last 30 years of her life and coming out in favor of the Second Amendment. Um, I, I don't really know how much more detail I can drag into this thing. It, it, it was not shocking to see Hillary try to run to the middle. I don't know what she's getting at. Why do that? If you're leading 
53 to 35, like some of the polls say, over Donald Trump by being Hillary Clinton. Why do you suddenly abandon being Hillary Clinton and say, I love the Second Amendment. No one's a stronger supporter of the Second Amendment than me. She knows that she's not doing as well as as the media wants to report. She knows that she goes to a event and draws a 100 and Trump goes to an event and draws 60,000. No one will report this. No one will talk about this. It's insane. But she, in the debate, she made it very clear that she was running to the middle to try to pick up every supporter she can. And then then you listen to these pundits say, oh, well, Hillary doesn't want to just win. She wants a mandate. And if she can get a mandate by having 98% of the population vote for her, then she'll have a, a blank check to write with the the Congress's approval, because you know that after eight years of giving in to everything to Obama, because he had a 53 per, or 52% mandate, that if Hillary is able to get, say, 90%, then, then she can do anything she wants, and that's what she's going after. So she's trying to pick up those votes in traditionally Republican states like Texas or, or Georgia, which may become purple states in the next 10 years. I, I, folks, give me a break. You don't, if you've got a winning strategy, you don't uh, try to abandon it. If you're winning the, the, the basketball game, you don't take and start to, to play like the, the loser team is playing. You don't adopt their defense because it seems to be working so well for them. Hillary knows she's in trouble, right? Everyone's saying she's not, but she knows she is because otherwise she wouldn't be acting the way she acts. Actions speak louder than words. There's two big things going on right now. First is Hillary's run to the center, which indicates she knows she's in trouble. Second is the barrage of WikiLeaks. And while the mainstream media does not want to go and do line by line and tells you it's even illegal for you to look at them, that they're stolen property and what all the other garbage they can come up with. Thank you, CNN. I can see the CNN building from here. You, you people, you people disgust me. Report WikiLeaks. Tell what crimes this woman's committed and her staff has committed in her name. You know, everything from from voter intimidation, everything that, that conservatives get accused of, everything libertarians get accused of is what the Clinton campaign is doing. Voter intimidation, there's um, the 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 backroom deals to to try to change classifications on emails so that she didn't commit a crime the fbi has become a laughing stock i have friends who work at the fbi i know people who work at fbi and atf and and u.s secret service folks uh, fbi has become a mockery of justice uh, as, as evil and twisted and, and perverted as J. Edgar Hoover may have been, at least he kept the FBI independent of the political structure so it wasn't become just a wing of their power base, and now it is. And for all of you agents who are in the FBI who have had your your honorable service besmirched by what is going on, you have my condolences. Um I once had the misfortune of working for someone who I felt was a crook. I resigned almost immediately when I found out the depths that I went to. Uh, I think that there should be mass resignation of FBI agents at this point to say that the, the system is corrupt and corrupted and is helping to further and foment illegal activity rather than to pursue justice. And if you have 
any sense of right or wrong, of true right and wrong, of a moral compass, that this is the moment when you need to resign and go on to do something else with your life, you know, something that has more moral base than than covering up Hillary's sins. I don't know, maybe maybe prostitution or, or running a gambling den, something a little bit higher calling than helping Hillary escape prosecution. It, it It's sickening. It is sickening. And I'll be the first to tell you that as much as I enjoy third-party politics and have voted libertarian and for Democrats this year, I voted for a Democrat this year, suck it, I want a non-incumbent in that seat, I don't care. Um, but as far as it goes with me being a rather free spirit when it comes to election, when Donald Trump said, yeah, because you'd be in jail, when Hillary said, it's a good thing we don't have Donald Trump in charge of our legal system, yeah, because you'd be in jail, that debate got me on my feet, screaming and cheering at the TV. That moment was, was gold for me, because that is the truth in any kind of of real rule by law country not rule by men there would be prosecutions for this and this this brings me around to talking about something i heard on on the radio just this morning that really really ticked me off and i know this is really getting tangential but i don't care my show here's the issue um they were talking about 35 years of rule in zimbabwe by robert mugabe if you guys don't know, Zimbabwe used to be called Rhodesia, at which point it was also called the Jewel of the African Crown. Rhodesia had the greatest economy in the entire continent. 80% of government offices were occupied by natives. It was a beacon of um, modern social development of... Of, of a stable economy and of generally happy people. It was a wonderful, wonderful thing. Now, when Great Britain started decolonization, they looked at Rhodesia and said, okay, well, we're going to turn all of your government offices over to somebody else. And the people who were duly elected said, no, that's not the way democracy works. They can run and they can get an office they want to. You can't just turn it over. And a civil war started. Now, Africa was in the throes of civil war in the 50s and 60s. You know, the Belgians were in the Congo. There was a lot of things going on. Primarily, it was a proxy war between the Western superpower of America and, and, and the Soviet Union trying to exert dominance and control. And the Soviet Union backed Robert Mugabe. And so America should have backed the duly elected government of Rhodesia, but it did not. Jimmy Carter, being the, the wonderful humanitarian that he is, backed Robert Mugabe as well and allowed the country to be torn apart by civil war. Rhodesia declared, uh, had a unilateral declaration of independence. They became their own country. They were completely cut off economically and militarily from all other countries. As their military equipment diminished, there was rapid attacks by rebel insurgents, what we would call terrorists, what uh, Carter called freedom fighters. Um, upon the capital city, and eventually Rhodesia fell. It was renamed Zimbabwe, and the beacon of economic stability, independence, and freedom in the Central Africa, the, the, the crown jewel of Africa for freedom and liberty and economic success, turned into Zimbabwe. 
which, as I'm sure some of you know, is a laughing stock for inflation, where you can get everyone in Zimbabwe is a billionaire, where it took barrel um, wheelbarrowfuls of money to buy bread because of mismanagement, corruption, and the the freedom and democracy that that was seen in Rhodesia has been replaced by Robert Mugabe ruling with an iron fist since 1980 through 2016, 36 years of one-man rule. And Jimmy Carter in the Carter Center talks about free and fair elections and, and promoting democracy. Well, what the heck is Zimbabwe? It, is, it exists solely because Carter would not stand up for a... a, a decent government because he felt that it was racist he felt that africa africa should be run by africans and that the white people who had lived there for generations had no business in their government Uh, a more racist idiotic position there cannot be and it caused the destruction of an entire country starvation imprisoned camps suffering and death untold because of a, a skewed ends justify the means kind of view of life. And, and it, it is just sickening. And that is what they want to have happen to this country. They don't care about what happens to the economy. They don't care about what happens to the people. They don't care about what happens to African Americans in this country. They don't care about what happens to Hispanics in this country. All they care about is their power, and they will allow people to suffer and die if they can get power and keep power. And they all wish that they could be Robert Mugabe. I mean, that's that's the end of it. And we're not going to let that happen to this country. There are people who are willing to stand up and fight. There are people who are willing to call a spade a spade. And there are people who are going to go out there and trump what's going on in this country. And that's, that's, that's just it. I'm at a commercial break. I'll be right back. And now, back to GeorgiaCarry.org Radio with Doug and Jesse King. Welcome back, everybody. So when we took the commercial break, I was lamenting what had happened in Zimbabwe. And I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about what I'd promised. Yes, I'm going to get to it. What I promised to talk about, which was um, the the rape whistles in Mexico City. So mass transit in Mexico is a fairly dangerous thing. Okay, If you go to Mexico and you start riding a train or a bus and you're a woman, uh, you're going to get groped just kind of the way it is and this is not just a mexico thing this so people don't think i'm bashing on mexico but it happens in japan too and in russia and in india and pretty much anywhere in the world where there are men and women together except for america um there are inappropriate sexual contacts that take place on public transit mexico's answer to this is to give out whistles that way you can blow your wattle and stop the inappropriate sexual conduct because people will notice. And, and I, I heard this story, and yeah, I'm going to go back to Trump. I don't care. Um, I just kept thinking that poor, poor woman on the airplane, if she had just had a pink wattle back in the 1980s, she would have been able to draw attention to the Trumptopus that was reaching over and grabbing her up and down on the first class area of the airplane. Is this the most ridiculous stuff you've ever heard in your life? I mean, this is not how you prevent people from acting inappropriately. You don't give them a whistle. You'd have, you just speak up and say, cut it out, don't touch me, and punch them in the nose or shoot them. 
I mean, that's what you do when someone is assaulting you. You don't sit there and keep your mouth shut and wait and wait and wait and hope it'll go away. You fight back. Learn to fight back. I was talking to one of my friends, and she said, well, I, I, I don't feel comfortable going to do a Craigslist deal. I'm like, why not? Just take a gun. Go. And she says, well, you have a daughter. Would you want your daughter going to go do a deal like that by herself? I said, yeah. Yeah, I would, because I would want my daughter not to live in fear. I would want my daughter to be able to protect herself by herself, not needing anyone else to do it. And I would expect her to take a gun, and if someone did something that they weren't supposed to do, to just shoot them. Point blank, flat out, if you're going to try to hurt me, assault me, kidnap me, take my kids, do something evil, I'll shoot you. And there's no question. I don't need a cop. I don't need a wussle. I don't need... Another person to back me up. I will be responsible for my own safety. I will be responsible for my own well-being. I will be responsible for myself and take care of myself and protect myself. And I want my kids to do the same thing. I want every American to do the same thing. So back to to Mexico City. There has been resounding um, criticism of the Wassel plan including what other steps is the, the government going to take? Are they going to hand out those those World Cup Zuzulas or Vuvulas or whatever they call them um, to, to sound out against government corruption? Are they going, <laughs> going to, to give to give noisemakers for for bribery or for um, uh, drug cartel activity? Oh my goodness, there's a drug deal. Woo, woo. There we go, right? You know, this is not the way that you end crime. You end crime by refusing to be a victim. That's how you end a crime, okay? Crime is going to happen. You can refuse to be a victim of the crime. You can take yourself and put yourself in positions where you're less likely to be hurt, and you can and arm yourself and protect yourself so that if someone tries to hurt you, that it's not worth their effort. And that's what brings crime down. It, there... The the thing that got me was listening to this interview. Even the protesters of it don't get it in Mexico. And this is the difference between America and every other country on the face of the earth. This is where I become jingoistic and I say that, by God, we are the greatest nation on earth. And the reason that we are the greatest nation on earth is because we have certain God-given inalienable rights. And God knows what we will do with those rights when we're pushed. America is different because in Mexico, when they handed out the whistles, the protesters to the whistles did not say we have need to be able to defend ourselves more fully. They said it's not the victim's responsibility to have to defend themselves. We have to change the culture. You know how you change a culture? You don't do it by looking at everybody and saying, change. Oh, change. You need to change. You change a culture by forcing it. And the way you force it is by you refuse to allow people to act that way. It's time to just refuse to allow people to act that way. They gave a, an interview with this 20-year-old woman. And she's a woman, a 20-year-old woman. Okay, you're not a little girl. She was riding on mass transit, and some guy grabbed her butt. And what did she do? She said, I was fortunate my father was there. I turned to my father and said, he's grabbing me. And father turned around and punched him in the nose. She can punch him in the nose. It's time for her to punch him in the nose and end it right there. And if he's bigger and stronger and is going to force himself on her more forcefully than that and a punch of the nose won't make him stop, then she needs to shoot him. I'm sorry. That's just the way I feel. That's what's right. 
I'm deontological, and the ends don't justify the means. And he shouldn't have to die, but he shouldn't do that either. And if he won't stop from being punched in the nose by the 20-year-old woman, then he can stop when he comes back at her and she feels threatened for her life. That's all there is to it. So, uh, membership deals. This It's Pledge Drive Week here on, on, on uh, GCO Radio, and we only need five more pledges in the next five minutes in order to meet our goal and end this drive early. So, I've got a number of people calling in from Lawrenceville and Swanee and Augusta and Tifton. No, I don't. We don't do that. What we do is we just remind you, you need to be a member. To become a member of georgiacarry.org, you go to www.georigacarry.org, and on the top left-hand corner, click Join Now. When you join now, it's $20 a year, $500 for a lifetime. You get access to all the information in the upcoming legislative session. You'll know what those deontological Republicans and the utilitarian Democrats are doing in your legislature, how to best fight them, what committees you need to show up at, who needs an email, who needs a phone call, and which uh, Democratic governor of Georgia needs a protest in front of his office is that laws, when signed, mean things and can't be ignored. But I digress. So become a member of georgiacarry.org. If you don't want to join online, go to any gun show. We've got a table at just about every one. If you can't make it to the gun show, go to the Gay Pride Festival. Go to the the Big Shanty Festival. Go to um, the Butterfly Festival. Go to any festival, and you're going to find a georgiacarry.org booth there with staff by volunteers who are willing to take your 20 bucks, make you a member, and get you the information you need. Also, you can go to our website and check out upcoming local chapter meetings. There's a whole bunch of them. There was an I Inside the Perimeter meeting just a couple days ago. There's going to be uh, the Northeast and Northwest and South Atlanta chapters. There's Tifton and Augusta and all over the state. Local chapter meetings are popping up. You can go to a local chapter meeting, enjoy some good food, some good fellowship, meet some nice people, have some good barbecue, go shoot your guns with them, and, and have a good time fellowshipping with people of like minds and like temperament and hear a good speaker. Our board members are at these meetings too, so you can find out what's happening before anyone else does and stay in touch and stay in involved and get connected and get out there and get doing something and that's what this is all about you know uh, my wife jesse was was talking about her political science homework and 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 lobbyists i don't think of georgiacarry.org as a lobbying group as a lobbyist standpoint i mean georgia carry does hire a lobbyist who goes down and talks to the legislature but the way things get done here is not from us throwing money around it's from us calling having masses and masses of people call in having nine thousand members call a state senator and say hey don't do that it really makes an impact it, it scares politicians when they think that the electorate is paying attention to them and that is what georgia Kerry does georgia Kerry makes people pay attention to what the legislature is doing especially on guns so key points to take away from today's show if you support gun control you cannot vote for hillary clinton she said that. That's her position. She doesn't believe in in gun control. She believes in the Second Amendment. She's the strongest supporter of the Second Amendment. Shoot, she might even become an NRA Life member because she's so confident she's going to win. She needs to do all this stuff. I, I don't buy that. I think that the election is going to swing dramatically. I think that the polling results are all skewed. This is going to be a, a Dewey defeats Truman year. It's about time, it's about change, it's about getting rid of political establishment, it's about having someone who is not beholden to anybody else in office, 
and I think it's it's going to be an exciting time. By the way, in case none of you noticed, the Russian North Fleet set sail for Syria. There's going to be the beginnings of World War III. Um, uh, Trump does not want to interfere with the Russians or pick a fight with them. Clinton wants to impose a no-fly zone, shoot down their airplanes, and bring Putin right on our doorstep. Uh, you can take that for what it's worth. Personally, I think that Syria is a lost cause, and if the Russians want it, the Russians can have it. Just stay out of Israel, and we'll all be happy. But that's that's neither here nor there in the gun culture, I guess. Um, do get out and vote early. Voting is going on right now. You can get to your polling place. Do it before the 8th. Get your vote locked in. Nothing's going to change. You heard the last debate. Um, it is what it is, and so now get out there and vote. Make make a big difference. Vote against incumbents. Vote for people who have similar beliefs. Don't vote strategically. Vote with your heart. Vote for what you believe in. Vote for people who believe like you do. Vote for people who stand for the things you stand for, wherever they are, on either side of the aisle. It doesn't matter at this point. We just need to have some change go through. And if you have an office that has no opposition running, write in something. It won't count, but neither does your vote for the other guy, because he's not running in a, in a democracy that's communism that's evil that's despicable deplorable and just downright awful so if they're running unopposed they don't deserve your vote don't don't vote for people who are running unopposed that's a pet peeve of mine i'm over time next week same bat time same bat channel this has been georgiacarry.org radio with doug and jesse king GeorgiaCarry.org is Georgia's no-compromise voice for gun owners. Tune in each week for valuable information on protecting your Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms. GeorgiaCarry.org Radio, Saturday mornings at 8 on News Talk 1160, the talk of the town.